Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. And so today's topic, the God redo, it's not that God needs to change because God doesn't need to change, amen? Hebrews tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, amen? Uh, the, the book of James tells us that there is no variance in shade. In other words, he is the God of light, and it doesn't matter because, you know, shade uh, occurs by certain objects that kind of, you know, stop the light from reflecting, and, and a certain object, external object, can determine certain shades. When but the book of James, when describing Jesus, it says he is the God of light and there's no variance of shade. In other words, it doesn't matter what's around. It doesn't matter what comes up. He doesn't change. Maybe you and I change, but God is faithful to the end. Amen. So this is not the God redo that he needs to change something about himself. No, the God redo is that God wants to redo his work in you and I. So that we can reflect him as he is. This is when God wants to redo himself in us. And we're going to read in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 through 27. And it reads like this. And I will give you a new heart. I'm going to thank God for that. God gave me a new heart when I was 22 years old. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, he will take out our heart of, of stone and give us a heart of flesh. I'm from Texas. I just moved with my family to help start Journey Church uh, less than a year ago. In April will be our first year. Um, and, and on the outside of Houston, there's a university called Sam Houston University, and they have a statue. It's like 200 feet, the Sam Houston statue. And I imagine like a day like today, uh, Patrick's from Texas, he knows. I imagine like a day like today when it's raining, when it's cold, nobody's putting a sweater on that statue. Nobody's covering the, with, with him with an umbrella, right? The birds kind of, re, you know, rest on them, do what they got to do on him, and nobody bothers because the statue's made of stone. In other words, it's important to note that if our heart remains of stone, we won't respond to God the way he would like us to respond. We won't be sensible to the things that he wants us to be sensible. You see, our desire, yes, is to be saved. Our mission statement here at Journey Church is to walk with people back home to God. You see, salvation is not your destination. I'm glad you're saved. Pat yourselves on the back for that one. But salvation is only the beginning of a journey with you and God. And Romans tells us that all things happen for good. For what good? The end of that journey is so that we can look more and more like Jesus Christ. You see, God wants to redo himself in our lives today. God wants to redo himself in our lives this year. We can't come into this new year with old habits. We can't come into this new year with, with old, you know, relationships that are no good for us. But most importantly, we cannot start this new year, 2017, with the same old heart. 
And God wants to give you a new heart, and he wants to put his spirit inside of you. We're not caught up with all the chaos with, 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 with the politics of what's going on in the White House. I posted something the other day. Instead of focusing so much on who occupies the Oval Office, we should be worried about who's occupying and sitting in the throne of our hearts. Let the Lord reign in your heart this year, 2017. You want to see a difference in your life? You want to see a difference in your community, a difference in the world? Somebody said you want to change the world, change your nation. You want to change your nation, change your city. You want to change your city, change your, sh- your church. You want to change your church, change your family. But if you want to change your family, you got to change your heart. And only Jesus Christ can change your heart. God wants to redo himself in you today. Amen. God is interested in your heart like J.J. preached last week. He killed it, by the way. That was amazing. God doesn't just want to do a miracle for what you want. He wants to do the miracle and the things that you need. Amen? As a parent, I see that now. There's things that my kids want. I'm like, no, no, son. I know what you need. Just listen. And many times I believe we do the same thing with God. We're just so preoccupied with things we want him to do. When we don't realize that there are things that he needs to do in our lives. So we're going to read three stories today. We're going to follow a little quick. The first one is the prophet Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 10 through 14. Let me read the story and I'll, I'll, I'll recap it for you. 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 10 through 14. And it says, and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. You see, the king Naaman, he was a leper. Leprosy was the worst kind of infirmity in that time. There was no cure for it. You were ostracized from community. And imagine, this is the king. You weren't even allowed to be where other people were. You weren't allowed to go inside the temple. And he went out to Elijah. But Elisha sent out the messenger. Like, he didn't even go out and greet the, meet the king. And he told them, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be, you shall be clean. Verse 11. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus? Aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Like, in other words, why is he sending me to this dirty river when I had way nicer rivers back home? So he turned and went away in rage. Verse 13. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of the God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a child, and he was clean. Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army, basically. He was the leader of his place. And the prophet didn't even go out to greet him, and he said, go and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan. Naaman was obviously angry, not only because he didn't come out to greet him, right? But he was also angry because he figured if there was nicer rivers back home, he should have just went home and did it himself. Obviously, thankfully for his two servants, he changed his heart and he humbled himself. You see, this is the point of this story. Naaman wanted to be clean from his leprosy, but God wanted to heal him from his pride. 
You see, it wasn't until he humbled himself, until God healed his heart, and then he was able to heal his skin. It said his flesh was restored as clean as a little child. God's desire was to heal him from his pride while he was so occupied with simply just being healed from leprosy. Are there things in our lives today, this year, 2017, where we're asking God for a miracle? And God is saying, yes, I am able to do far and beyond what you can receive. I'm able to do any miracle you ask me. But you can't miss the point that what I want to do is a greater miracle inside of you. Another story that we read is Jesus healing a boy of an unclean spirit. If we turn to Mark chapter 9, Mark 9 verse 17 through 27, this is a story of Jesus healing a spirit. It says in verse 17, and someone from a crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able, and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can All things are possible for who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief, verse 25. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, Jesus, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. I know uh, the child and this whole exorcism kind of wants to come to the light and kind of distract us, but I want to put the focus on the father. The father came desperately. As a parent, you know that you want anything to do to help your kids. The worst thing you want is for your kids to suffer anything. You'd rather go through the pain and suffering instead of your kids. And he desperately goes to Jesus and says, can you do anything? And Jesus says, anything? Everything is possible for me. You see, God is the God that can do anything impossible. The, 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 the disciples told Jesus on one occasion when a young rich uh, ruler came to visit him and said, uh, you know, so, uh, he wanted to go to heaven and Jesus kind of made it difficult. And the disciples basically said, Jesus, it's impossible then. And Jesus said, you have it exactly right. What is impossible for man, for God, all things are possible. He also told Martha and Mary when her brother Jesus had died, he had been dead three days, right? And they said, Jesus, you came a little too late. He said, what do you mean I came a little too late? Because according to the Jewish tradition, right, they believed that within three days the spirit still dwelt among this shell. How many know that the real us is not this external shell but our spirit within us? And so they believed that when people died, they had three days to at least be some kind of miracle or resurrection. So when Jesus was quote-unquote too late, they said, Jesus, you made it too late. 
And Jesus looked at, um, at Martha, right, and said, Martha, Mary, if you only believe, you will see the glory of God. It's not too late. And even though it's too late for you, it's not too late for me. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out of the dead. You see, God is the God of the impossible. But before he does the supernatural external work in your life, he wants to do a supernatural internal work in your heart. And the father came to Jesus and he said, heal my son from an unclean spirit. And nothing happened. But the moment he cried out and said, Jesus, help me to believe. Heal my unbelief. What happened? Jesus healed his son. You see, Jesus can do the miracle for you. But he wants to do the miracle in you. Here's my sermon in a sentence. Sometimes we are so focused on what we want God to do for us that we miss out on what he wants to do in us. Sometimes we are so consumed, so focused on what we want God to do for us that we miss out on what he needs to do in us. 2017, I know you got your list of what you want God to do in in your favor, but I believe God has one thing on his list that he wants to do in your life and it's to give you a new heart and to put his spirit inside of you. You see, before I moved, I had to, like, kind of make our house nice, presentable, so that we can sell it. Thankfully, we sold it for a good price, and that's what we're living off of right now. But I remember I had to paint some, some walls, paint some wood, and, and, and a painter came over to help me, and he was like, Aaron, let's do it right. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I already put all the tape. Like, I just want to paint already. I didn't know I had to take this much time, you know, taping the corners. He's like, Aaron, but we also got to, like, grind it down to the wood. We, we got to clean the wood first. I'm like, what's the point? We're going to paint over it. He's like, yeah, but with time, uh, the old paint will come back. I'm like, who cares? I'm moving. It's just for a little bit. He's like, Aaron, let's do it right. I'm like, you're right. I'm sorry. And, and I believe that's what we do sometimes. A new year, new me, and we just kind of paint new resolutions over the old. No wonder why December comes and sometimes nothing has changed. Maybe we've even gotten even worse because God wants to get to the wood in your life. You see, there's a streak getting to my old church back in Houston where it's always so many potholes. Like, man, can you just fix the the, the road already? And, yeah, they cover it up. But what happens whenever they just kind of cover up the pothole? With time, they're right back there, right? And so one day, some people from church started complaining to the city. So they came out. And they closed off the street. It was a little inconvenience for us because now we had to go around, right? But eventually they had to cut through the whole road and they made it right. They got to the bottom of it and they fixed it correctly, properly. You see, that's what God wants to do in our heart. It may be a little inconvenience for you, but he doesn't just want to fill up your potholes. He doesn't just want to give you a relationship. He doesn't just want to prosper you. He doesn't just want to bless you. He wants to deal with your heart. He wants to go to the inside and do the miracle from the inside out. And that's what God desires to do in your heart today. You see, when we understand John 3.16, right, this is the most popular verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You guys understand the context of this message? He's talking to Nicodemus. He's 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 a religious person. And he sincerely comes to Jesus, and John chapter 3 is not going to be up on the screen. You can check it out, write it in your notes and check it out later. He goes to Jesus and say, how can I inherit eternal life? How can I go to heaven? And Jesus is like, man, you just got to be reborn. He's like, 
Am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb and come back out and be born again in order for me to go to heaven? He's like, Nicodemus, you don't understand. Unless, you are, unless you're baptized by water and spirit, you cannot be born again. What is being baptized by water and spirit? What well, we read in Ezekiel 36. God giving us a new heart and a new spirit. You see, it's not about Nicodemus going back in his mother's womb and coming back out the same person. You see, that's what we've done with this year. We want to uh, start this new year with the same old person, and God is saying, no, I need to give you a new heart. Nicodemus, you need to be reborn. God wants to redo himself. God doesn't want the same person to come out, but a new person. The third story is the waters of Mara. We read in Exodus chapter 15, Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 through 25. Let me give you some context into this. Moses, this is where God does the ten plagues. Uh, in Egypt, Pharaoh finally lets God's people go. Uh, and and um, now they're able to lift an altar and, and, and praise God and worship God in the desert. God tells them, make sure with this sacrifice, not only you paint the doorpost with the blood of the lamb, because the angel will not come in and you will live, right? But make sure that you guys eat and eat up good because you're about to start a journey. And now they go to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, wait a minute, we cannot let them go. You think they can do whatever they want after they've killed our firstborn? They can't just leave like that. So Pharaoh gets all his armies, they're on the chariots, and they go after the Israelites. Now the Israelites have the chariots of the army of Egypt behind them, and they have the Red Sea in front of them. And they begin to complain. We're good at complaining, right? They begin to complain. Moses, what about, what are we going to do now? Did God not have enough, you know, um, cemeteries in Egypt for us, for us to die over there and perish? Why would we, would we must now die here in the desert? And, and poor Moses says, God, what do I do now? God says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And he had a staff. Use it. Moses strikes the waters. The waters open up, Right? And Israelites cross on dry land. Once they get to the other side, God tells the Israelites, look back. And when they look back, they see the armies coming. It says, the armies that you see now, you will never see again. The waters closed up and swallowed up all the army of Egypt. And they died that day. Now, Miriam, which is uh, Moses' uh, older sister, Miriam begins to celebrate. You know, it's a cause of celebration. God has liberated them. They're celebrating with the girls that had the uh, uh, tambourines. But three days pass, and now they're thirsty. Three days of wandering in the desert, and now they're hungry. Now they're desperate. Now they're hot, and they just want to get to the where they're supposed to get to, right? And this is where we find our reading, Exodus 15, verse 22. And then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Sur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. 
and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. You see, God did a miracle, and if we continue to read that passage, it says that Moses named God Jehovah Rapha. Rapha means the God who heals, because God healed those waters, and they praised God for it. Now, after the Pentecostal party and the praise party, I would have been like, where's the, the complaint box? Like, I got a complaint. Like, can I be honest with you guys? Like, if I've been wandering three days in the desert, in the wilderness, and I'm dying of thirst, and I finally see a body of water, I'm telling Gabby and the three boys, like, you guys are tired, wait here. I'm running to the water desperately. Let me go drink some real quick for myself, and I'll meet you halfway back. I'm desperately running, and I, and I were to get to those waters, dump my face in there. I probably might jump in there, right? Desperately drink those waters, come to find out it's bitter. I would be a little frustrated. If I knew God was going to do a miracle after the fact, I would have said, God, why didn't you, when you saw me running desperately, when you saw my family, my three boys, uh, over a million people, uh, they were wandering in the desert for three days, and you see us coming, you could have sent an angel, like kind of like, you know, uh, made some Kool-Aid, made some iced tea, put some ice in there. You could have done the miracle before the fact, right? Like, if I could be honest, I would have complained to God. I would have been like, Jehovah Rapha, thank you for healing it. But next time, do it a little bit faster. And I never understood this until years later where I'm, I'm teaching in Bible school at my, at my home church. And I'm giving a class on the tabernacle. And I never understood why God allowed the waters of Marah to be bitter to and then eventually heal it. And so I understood the tabernacle. Tabernacle was basically a place where God dwelt with his people, and it would move throughout the desert. It would be a column, a, a cloud during the day and a column of fire at night, and it would basically rest in the holies of holies. And outside those, that tent, the holies of holies, it was not only an altar, the bronze altar, but there was a place called the laver. It was the first place the high priest would reach to before he did any sacrifice, before he ever went into the holies of holies, he would go to this place to wash his hands. It was kind of like a bird uh, where a bird bathed. It's like a little, you know, uh, a stand filled with water. Uh, and the high priest would go and he would wash his hands and begin to make a prayer to ready his heart for the sacrifice for the people. To then go into the place of the high, holies of holies. And as I'm teaching this class, I realize that the high priest, before washing his hands, what would he use that water for? As a reflection to see the condition of his life. Before he entered the holies of holies, he used that water basin as a reflection to see the condition of his heart. To ready his life before he stands before the living God. And then the waters of Mara made sense to me. You see, something I left out is that God's people, once they exited uh, Egypt, they were only supposed to take 40 days before they got to the promised land. But they took 40 years. You see, they missed God's lesson in their life at the waters of Mara. You see, what they failed to realize 
Aaron the complainer, what you fail to, to look and see is that what God was trying to show the Israelites, not just be focused on that these waters are bitter, but that before you drink of this water, take a look at the condition of your heart. Israel, you're not ready for the promised land because you need a new heart. Israel, before you drink of this water and you see how bitter they are, I need you to understand how bitter your heart is. I need you to understand that before I heal these waters, which I'm able to, I need to heal your heart. You see, God not only performed supernaturally with ten plagues, he also made out of a rock not just a little water fountain, but, but water burst out that fed over a million men, not counting women and children, and their animals, camels, everything. It wasn't a little water fountain. And also, when they started complaining about food, God made manna, bread from heaven, fall daily, fresh bread from heaven. And their clothes, the Bible says, their shoes or their sandals, they grew with them. Their clothes grew with them. See, God is a God of miracles, but he's more interested in the miracle in your heart. He's more interested in doing the miracle inside of you than doing any type of miracle for you on the outside. And we see this, guys. The beautiful thing of this story is we see this same story of Mara in the New Testament. When Jesus looks down at the waters of this earth, there was 400 years of silence, 400 years of turmoil, 400 years before, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, before the announcement of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen? But God looks to earth, and he sees the bitterness of this earth. And, and like he told Moses, grab a piece of stick, grab a log, and throw it into the waters. You know what God did? On the wood of Calvary. This is what we sang before I came up here, right? When I look to that cross, that cross, that piece of log that God threw to this earth so that he can make earth's bitterness bring back hope again. That's the gospel message, guys. That God looked down to the bitterness and the hopelessness of our lives. And on the log, on Calvary, Jesus Christ came and died for our sins so that we can be sweet again. What does a new heart look like? First, you need to know that we must be honest before the Lord. We got to be sincere. The psalmist said, God, I am naked before you. I, I can't hide nothing from you. You see me for who I am. Like maybe you can play off and, and pretend everything's okay in front of your pastors, right, when we greet you in the front. You can pretend everything's great. You can pretend everything's great with your family, with your spouse. But with God, we cannot fake it. We cannot fake it till you make it. We have to be honest and sincere just who, as we are. And when we humble ourselves, God begins to do a work. And what will we see with this new heart? My desire is 2017. My heart feels the thing God's heart feels. That's, that's a big prayer. Because then we will begin to despise the things he despises. Like, I don't know where you stand in politics, but, but, but we must love one another. Love, you know, Martin... Mar Martin Luther King, right? He said this. It's only a darkness cannot drive out darkness. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do this. And, and we are marked by love. What, what does God's heart, what, do, what does it look like? People that are driven by love. 
not just love the people you get along with, but even your neighbors, even your, your enemies, especially your enemies. And this is what a heart full of love looks like. See, there's a story of, of a professor. I don't know how many people are in college or went to school. I'm almost about to finish my master's program. I'm so thankful for that. I, don't, I told myself when I graduated college, I'll never go back to school. And I don't know why I signed up for my master's program. But I'm pretty sure when I graduate, I'm going to tell myself I'm never going back to school. I'm tired of writing 30, 40 pages a day, or a month, I'm sorry. I'm tired of writing that. But there was a, a professor, a math professor. They say that if you're either good at math or if you're not, you're, not, you're good at everything else. Or if you're good at everything else, you're pretty, you're pretty much not good at math. And there was a math professor, and he had 10 students. Five were math majors, and five were uh, physics majors. First day of class, the professor comes in. Imagine you're in school. He comes in, and he says, I have good news for you. This year, this semester, no homework. No exams. No final project. Everybody here gets an A. You can imagine the five physics majors, they grabbed their book, they threw it away, or maybe they went back and sold it back to the school, get some money, right? But they threw away all their stuff because they understood that no matter what they do, they get an A. They're good for the semester. Why go to class? Why study? Why read the book? Why pay attention? Why do any homework? We already got an A. What's the difference between those five and the other five that are math majors? Now the other five that are math majors, they look at the professor and they say, so, so we get to enjoy this course without having to worry about turning in any assignments? So we can just listen, ask questions, study, learn, think about solutions, and just work on uh, you know, difficult problems and just enjoy the semester, and we already got an A? The professor's like, yeah. See, I say this story because many of us, we come to church and Jesus on the cross looks down and says, you got an A. It's all about grace. Enjoy your life and live it to the fullest. And there's some of us that walk out of church, walk with Christianity saying, I can do with my life however I want because I already got an A. But love Love, my brothers, takes us like those five math majors, and they say, oh, so I already got an A. I'm already saved. No matter what I did in the past, no matter the sins I commit, you already gave me a clean slate. You gave me an A, Jesus. So now I can go to church and worship your holy name. Now I can be a part of Dream Team and just serve uh, with, with a joyful heart. Now I can be a part of small groups and just do life community with others. Now I can just go for love days and do outreach and share the love of Jesus and not have to worry if you're grading me or not. And God's saying, yeah. And I wonder, what type of students are we? Are we those that only come and hear that we got an A and walk out those doors and continue to live your life as if nothing has been given to you. Because if you understand grace, even though it's free, it's free for you and me, but it was paid with blood on the cross. I pray that you understand that if you are that type of person, that God give you a new heart tonight, today. 
We need a new heart this year, guys. I don't want to do whatever I do just to make people happy. I don't want to have to do certain things just so uh, everything is in order. I want to do everything we do because God's grace has been poured upon my life, and I can freely do all these things for his name's sake. You see, it's not by works so that no man can boast. We don't do good works in order to gain his grace, no. But because this grace has been freely given to us, we can freely do good works before the Lord because we love him. First John tells us that we can love him because he first loved us. This is the difference between a disciple and a regular churchgoer. Thank you. I wanted to put this up and I'll explain it. It's this quote. It says, it's not about behavior modifications, but about worship alteration. It's not about behavior modification, but about worship alteration. What does this mean? Jesus doesn't want to give you a new heart so that you can become a better version of yourself. The gospel is not supplements and steroids for the Christian life. No, the gospel doesn't make bad people good. The gospel makes dead people alive. Amen? So it's not about just behaving better 2017. It's about God shifting your worship. You see, if you've been in church life for a while, you hear people say, I lost my first love. I don't think people lose their first love. I know the book of Revelation says, I don't think you lose love. I think what happens is you shift the love that you once had for your creator, and now that love goes to other things. So you don't lose that love. You alter that love. And so it's not about behavior modifications. I don't want you to say, God, give me a new heart so I can be a better person. Say, God, give me a new heart so I yearn and desire desperately your ways and your heart more than anything. God, give me a new heart so that when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I desire, the first thing I long is to be with you. God, give me a heart in such a way that what I lose sleep over is not the stress at work or the problems I have in my family. What I lose sleep over is I want to spend a little more time with you. You see, the psalmist says, one thing I demand and this thing I will seek, to be in the house of the Lord all of the days of, the, of my life. What he's saying is, I've tasted heaven. I've tasted your glory. I've been in your presence. And I don't want to be anywhere else but in your presence. God, I want to dwell where you are. I want to be where you are. It's not about just being a better person. It's not about just being better this year. It's about God giving, you, giving us a new heart and putting the spirit inside of us. When I dated Gabby, see, you, I, I'm, the, I'm, I'm a preacher now. I'm a good kid now. But I'm a pastor's son. And if you grew up in church, you know we weren't always the best ones. We just had like a rebellious spirit, like automatic, like over our lives. And I rebelled the majority of my life. And um, when I started dating, and it wasn't because I was even good looking. It was just because my dad was a pastor. Like, it's just like, you know, everybody wants to date the pastor kids. And like pastors be hooking up their kids. It's like Christian Mingo was happening way before Christian Mingo. It, it just happened 
It just happened among pastors. And Aaron was like a, a Pentecostal player. You know, I took advantage. Like, hey, this was before Christ, y'all. And so even then, after Christ, I, God had to do some work in my mind and my heart. I thought, you know, hey, as long as I'm not having sex, everything's permissible, right? And God had to work in my life. Ultimately, it got to the point where the last girl I ever talked to, I never held her hand, never told her my feelings, because I, I understood in that process that not only your words bind you, but messing around binds you. But your words, a, a promise of a future binds you. And if I wasn't sure they were the one, then I was probably getting myself into, a, you know, a messy situation. And so uh, with time, God was telling me, Aaron, I have somebody for you. Just wait. Just prepare yourself. You know, instead of looking for the right one, just be the right one. Worry about that. Worry about you. It's like if God was telling me this message. Now, I just want to illustrate this real quick because I, I got a point I'm going to make. Before Gabby Morales, who's my wife, Aaron was a different bachelor. Aaron was a different man. See, there was areas in my life where uh, before the side hugs, you know, because now you got to start giving side hugs. But, and God was telling me, Aaron, even if I bring your wife, you're going to have a lot of people upset because you've been playing with people's hearts. Aaron, be, before I bring your wife, why not fight for her place now? Why not give her her position now before you even met, meet her? So two years prior, I ever met Gabby. I started treating girls differently. I stopped going out. I stopped flirting. I stopped playing around. Before Gabby, Aaron was one way. After Gabby, Aaron was a different way. See, I'm not forced to wear this wedding ring. When I'm alone with the guys, I'm not forced to, to only look down and I can't look around. I'm not forced to report back to my wife. I'm not forced to come back home at a certain time so that I can go to bed with her. I'm not forced to clean up around the house. I'm not forced to do these things. Why do I do these things? Because of my love for her. So because I love her and I see how tired she is, I try to clean up around the house. Even because we got areas, right? Like the living room is my area, the kitchen's your area. Gabby, the kitchen looks a mess. You got to take care of your area. I got the garage. I got the trash. I got the outside stuff. You, you know, you take care of your stuff. But even in her stuff, her areas, you know, we got three boys. It's no joke. And, and I see how tired she is. I help her out. Not because I have to, but because I want to. I don't call in and check in with her. Not because I have to, but because I want to hear her voice. I don't come home early. Instead of staying now because I have to and I'll get in trouble. No, because I want to spend time with her. I'm not faithful to her only because I have this ring as a reminder. I'm faithful to her because there's nobody else I want to be with but my wife. Because I love her, there is good works that come along with it. I want to ask you, what type of heart are we serving God in 2017? A heart that says I have to go to church because it's Sunday? A heart that says I have to serve because William won't leave me alone and I have to set up. What kind of heart are we serving God with? You see, it goes from I get to serve, I get to lead worship, I get to preach, that something along the time, it turns into I have to preach today. 
I have to lead worship today. I have to be on setup team today. We don't have to. It's a privilege to serve the king. What type of heart are we serving God with this year? Is your heart looking more and more like Jesus Christ? Or is your heart simply looking more and more like your New Year's resolution? I don't want to become a better version of myself this year. I want to look more and more like Jesus Christ. That's my heart's desire. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.